Welcome to another episode of Pub Brews, and I got my co-host homie back, Mr. Ogar. How was your vacation? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was super sick for a while there, so I'm finally starting to feel better. going to try to keep my coughing to a minimum, but um, yeah, I was I had some kind of head cold and whatever, and it was not an enjoyable experience. I don't I don't get sick, but once every five to seven years, and when I do get sick, it usually takes me down for a few weeks, so I'm finally coming out of it. Yeah, that's it was sad to miss you, but uh, also, like, when I did Ark's uh, interview, Ark is, like, in Italy, so the timing is hard with your work schedule and stuff, so I just yeah. went ahead and grabbed it. It wasn't because we're fighting or leaving or, well, I mean, we might be, <laughs> we, we might be fighting after the end of this one. We have, we are going into Uh-oh. this one, we, we are going into this one kind of cold, so it'll be interesting to hear live uh, reactions to how we feel about the Abandoned suspension lists, um, the announcement that was put out by LSS, which uh, we, we have things that, like, we don't know each other's opinion on any of this stuff. We haven't talked about it. Um, we'll talk a little bit about how we feel about the meta shift for the Pro Tour. I will be there for the calling. So this is kind of one of those ones I'm up in the air, and by this weekend I'll figure out what exactly I want to do. But I'm not overly sure yet, so maybe this talk will help. And then we'll wrap it all up with some uprising um, looks and talks about. Since everybody else has an opinion, we figure we might as well share ours as well. Ogar. What do you got for us? Anything spicy before we get moving? No, no. I'm I'm just looking forward to having this conversation. I think those are three really big topics right now. You know, the idea of what the um, decision, you know, what the thought processes were behind the ban and suspended announcement, um, what the meta is going to look like moving into the Pro Tour and beyond, and then, of course, what the future of the game looks like potentially based on what Uprising could be. Obviously, recording this at the very beginning of May, we have very little information about exactly what's coming in Uprising. We've obviously only seen some of the Icelander cards and I think one Draconic card so far. So uh, a lot of speculation, but I think it's a fun topic and I'm really looking forward to seeing what that set brings for the game. And um, again, you know, discussing those other two topics as well. All right, so um, before we get too far into it, one of the things I have about the Living Legend, right? Because that's like the big thing, right? Starvo did not go Living Legend, so that was a big rush to getting an early announcement um, so people could get more ready for the Pro Tour on what was going to happen and what was how they were going to look to fix it and stuff like that. But one of the things I think that um, we've, I've been saying for a while, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel that there's been a increase in the number of events that can earn points for these characters. Um, there, it seemed like we had almost twice as many now that they went to the store level, right? So yes, Bravo was being dominant and had to be fixed to some degree and stuff like that. But he racked up points a lot faster than I think. Like if you had had the same kind of quantity that we had for Bravo's season for Chain or for Briar, they probably would be Living Legend as well, I think. How do you feel about I w- that? I would completely disagree with you, um, mainly because, you know, there were a lot of people tracking Chain's win percentage in the Monarch meta and Briar's win percentage in the Tails meta, and neither of them were winning 60% of the events that mattered. 
but, Whereas, what, but th- I guess this is where like you have to look at the total number of events though right like you can't look like th- th- what I'm what I'm getting at is I think that if you look at the number of events and how washed out it was because it was spread out more Starvo had more opportunity to be more dominant so like I don't know how well these statistics stand up and I'm curious and if anybody out there is a number cruncher and knows give us a detail about it because I would really like to know the real numbers behind that stat but like I don't know for sure this is just me speculating what I'm trying to say is that if you had the exact same number of events in all three of those metas, and we know that Starvo had a higher win rate, a higher conversion rate for getting first place than either Briar at her peak of dominance or Chain at his peak of dominance, knowing that Starvo had the highest conversion rate of the three of them means that no matter the number of events, Starvo would still be the one racking up the points the fastest. So if you had, if Briar had the exact same number of opportunities, the fact that her win percentage was lower means that she would not have gained living legend points as fast as Starvo did, even if it had been the exact same number of opportunities for her to gain those points. And the same is true of Chain, because again, Chain was not winning at the at the same level of uh, percentage-wise as what Starvo was doing. Starvo was literally winning nearly sixty percent of all of those pro quests and winning all of these big events like, you know, the calling Indianapolis and all these, um, you know, big um, one-off uh, SCG con pro quests and all these other things, battle hardens rather. But so, I mean, if you, if you had those same number of opportunities with chain or Briar and they're winning a lower percentage of them, they wouldn't have as many points. So to me, I think that it's, it, and, and maybe somebody can come with the exact statistics because I don't remember the exact numbers for Briar or for Chain off the top of my head. But what I I am of I firmly believe that Starvo is far and away the most dominant hero that this game has ever seen. N- nowhere in the Tales meta was Briar that dominant, or and nowhere in the Monarch meta was Chain that dominant. Yes, they were powerful. Yes, they were dominant but not to the same extent. See, I, I don't know. Like, I, again, I would like to see the official numbers about that because of how that works. Because like I said, like if you have like a hundred events in, in the Starvo era, that is equal to like the Briar events, like 20 events that Briar got or the 20 events that Chain got. Like, I feel like there was just way more. And then the dilution of, like people not having to travel as far so they don't have to so you have smaller pockets of metas and you have like better players staying home and not having to get into a bigger pool like i don't know like i think there's a, there's like some skewy stat- statistics that could be that could have came from this meta that i i'm not overly certain that um starvo represented the way he should now was he dominant yes i i agree with that there's no question that he was needed something to happen and um i guess this is a good segue like getting away from the stats and numbers because we don't have them so these are again speculations and, and just theories that uh like uh, i wouldn't even say theories or hypotheses of uh the numbers that we don't really know that i don't have and i don't know where to find them but i would love to look that up like i wish somebody would be able to hook me up with that so hit me up on discord if you got those numbers and stuff i want to kind of see it um and do my own calculations and my own probabilities but um but that said though um the ban list for cc came out and um surprise surprise but a card that i've been saying should be go, go away went away and let's start with awakening um i'm not sad about that at all <laughs> like uh so go ahead <laughs> so um the big thing for me was when they released that article back on april 5th 
and said, um, you know, Starvo is dominant. Uh, he's been winning a whole lot, has a really high number of living legend points, blah, blah, blah. And then when they had the, the sentence that said, it is our intent for the competitive season um, uh, through to the end of April to be played out with no changes to the ban restricted list and for Pro Tour New Jersey to be the first major event to tackle a new metagame, that sentence in that article really led me to believe pretty firmly that they were going to do a lot to really nerf Starvo if he didn't hit Living Legend. So to be honest, the fact that he didn't hit Living Legend and they actually approached him with as light a hand as they did, I found very surprising. Now, saying that they approached him with a light hand, obviously, is my perspective on the hero and the card pool still available to him, what he's still able to do. But I will say that banning a card like Awakening is um, a pretty strong move for the for Starvo's card pool because while Control Starvo didn't necessarily rely on Awakening, a lot of the more aggressive kind of, you know, I don't know if you want to call him Captain Planet or Casino or Bingo, as some people call him, Yahtzee, um, whatever name you want to use for it, but the Starvo list that relies on, you know, activating Starvo's start of turn ability as much as possible and, you know, getting that plus two dominate go again all the time, that list is the one that is really hurt by banning Awakening because if you're trying to race that kind of a Starvo list and you actually are doing well, you're putting enough pressure on and you have a, a significant life lead, Awakening is one of those cards that Starvo could rip off the top of the deck and immediately take tempo back. Because if you have a life lead and they drop that Awakening down, go get a Pulverize, now they're coming in for 14, potentially dominated, depending on if they're able to keep cards in their hand. Um, you know, they're coming in for this um, massive attack that then, you know, not only is it going to do damage to you and potentially be followed up with a, you know, a frosty hammer, but then you're also losing the ability to come back with the maximum threat on your own turn if you are able to keep cards in hand and stay alive. So Awakening was one of those cards that single-handedly could completely swing tempo in a game, and it made it actually dangerous to be in a life lead against Star those Starvo decks. So I do think that that's a pretty big hit. The only downside for other decks is just like the ban of Plunder Run, there is some collateral damage because I think Oldham, there are certain Oldham decks that didn't abuse Awakening, but were able to use it to a pretty you know good effect. And I think it was a solid card in that list without being completely broken. So those are the that's kind of the collateral damage that comes from that banning. Yeah, I don't think that Awakening is a fair card in any sense because even if it wasn't for Starvo, if you were just in an Oldham era or a, you know, like I guess Oldham is the only other one that can use them use it. But like anytime you have a card that basically says, look, if I'm playing against a a, a tempo or an aggro deck and they're doing their job and they're doing what they're supposed to do and i'm playing a control deck my job is to kind of lock them down and then turn the game and make you know have to work for it with this card it felt like you just get an instant like i caught up ha 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 here i go like and it basically like i don't think any game like i don't think any card in the game should swing that much damage or that much of a of a flip that uh you know like 
like this card this card I was busted as soon as it came out like i knew that right away when i looked at it i was like this card doesn't feel good like it, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to uh be good for the game as far as like anybody that plays aggro right like or, or tempo like because you basically get punished for doing what your deck does and that yeah that just doesn't seem correct like um so i'm not sad about the awakening ban i know that it was kind of a split like a community thing like some people said it wasn't fair some people said it was but when you have a deck like old him right that is basically able to like hit you for dominate take cards out of your hand control you with uh you know taxes and things like that he doesn't need a catch-up card of this quality right like because this is literally like like a 14 it's just like an 18 point swing just for playing this card most of the time and that's ridiculous because you get minus four to your first attack off the pulverize too if we're talking pulverize or i'm going to get a crippling crush with it and i'm going to basically take cards out of your hand and just make hit you for you know the 11 plus the you know the the two cards that i get to rip out of your hand too as well and i get to play it for free so the chance of me putting a terra sunder in front of it or you know putting a pummel on the back end of it is like much higher right like the card I don't know. I, out of all the, the the bands that I've seen of recent time, I think this one makes the most sense to me. Um, period. Like I like I I, I I guess Ball Lightning is the other one that made a lot of sense, but like again, that was like um, I don't know if that that card probably should have never been printed either. But Drones of Brutality like broke the game mechanic, so I don't think that one's even that bad now. I could probably like well no because like I guess you can't get decked if you have that card right. Like that's the thing that it breaks so probably never see that again but i don't know like I, i'm pretty okay with awakening though i'm just like that card didn't hurt my feelings at all but um another thing that came out of this ban and restricted that we found is uh, a new term called suspension right like the suspended list and uh we saw a couple of things that were kind of unfortunate to, i think but again it was because of bravo um and autumn's touch like being all like banned until bravo is gone i think that's kind of like ridiculous right like the only reason they're taking that away is because it's nine points of armor like that basically starvo now does not have um because every like they can go from autumn's touch if they're playing the aggressive version of starvo they just go from autumn's touch to evergreens or um break grounds right so yeah so I guess they're just putting a lot of value on that nine points of armor, which I agree that is pretty good, right? Right? Like you would you would kind of favor that, but again, like this seems like this is like Starvo like pretending like it's gonna get hit for something, but I don't think this doesn't actually doesn't do as much to Starvo as like people would think because i think most starvo lists are looking to be aggressive anyway and they're not going to be blocking with the autumn's touches they're using those as kind of like the fusion to the hammer kind of thing well i think that i mean all the starvos i've played against especially the ones that are aggressive mm -hmm. have focused really heavily on playing autumn's touches mm -hmm. because you know they they do the starvo fuse and then they play the autumn's touch with plus two dominate go again and then come in with the hammer afterward mm -hmm. but um I think that Awakening was the ban that was designed to hit the aggressive Starvo lists. Mm -hmm. And then Autumn's Touch is the ban that is going to hurt the control Starvo list. I don't think either ban um, really removes the deck, either of those decks from the format. Mm -hmm. I don't think either is enough to cripple the deck in the way that, you know, Cheerios Briar was crippled by the Plunder Run and Ball Lightning bans. I don't think either deck... Uh, um, is completely reshaped 
the way the banning of Seeds of Agony completely reshaped the way the chain is built. But I do think that they both play a significant role. Like I said, as we discussed with Awakening, that takes away one of the main strategies aggressive Starbo decks had for coming back from a, a life deficit and then getting rid of Autumn's Touch really does have a pretty significant impact on the efficiency with which a control Starbo deck is able to block over the course of the game. Because if you are consistently drawing two blocks instead of three blocks, it's going to be, even with, you know, Rampart or, you know, Crown, it's just going to be that much harder to consistently cover up those, you know, four and five point uh, breakpoint attacks. So I think that that's basically the way that I'm seeing it. Awakening hurts the aggressive lists and Autumn's Touch hurts the the control lists. Um, but again, I mean, Autumn's Touch is another one of those cards that um, it the collateral damage is, I think most Oldham lists were probably running a lot of Autumn's Touches as well, so that because that's how they fused their Oaken Olds if they didn't have a pulse. And knowing that they had that three block was very important because Oldham lists tend to be so tanky. So losing that card is also is going to hurt Oldham as much or more than it hurts the control Starvo lists. Yeah, and I think it hurts the most because, like, with uh, Oldham, you have the shield, right? So, like, the shield is almost always is always online if you're using Rampart, right? So, you get a four block for a three Autumn's Touch, right? Like, so you get a four block with that, which is a break point, and it's a good place to be defensive. Um, by going down to two now, though, like, he has to have Crown online to get the shield, the Crown, and the two block to get that same four amount. And that's a lot more work for Oldham. And I think that does hurt Oldham a lot more than it hurts Starvo, but... Yeah, I mean, um, you used to be able to cover up two... Like, for example, if you're playing against a Briar or um, a, a Katsu or somebody who comes in with two four-power go-agains in a row, mm -hmm. it used to be that you could go, you know, three-block and a Rampart to cover the first four, mm -hmm. or three-block and a Crown to cover the first four, and three-block and Rampart to cover the second four. Yep. Either way, like... You're 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 efficiently blocking those without having to commit multiple cards to each one. Whereas now that's not that's no longer the case. If you have those two blocks in your hand, you're going to have to give a two block, a rampart, and a crown just to cover that first one. And now, even if the rest of your cards in your hand block for three, you're not going to have either crown or rampart to cover up that second breakpoint. So I just think that that is like the biggest thing that autumn's touch hurts. And then. Um, Moving on from that, the other the next suspension that we saw was Bloodsheath Skeleta being suspended until Viserai uh, gains Living Legend status. And as someone who played Viserai quite a bit through the ProQuest season here recently, um, after Everfest came out, um, I do think that Viserai can still be a legitimately competitive deck without Bloodsheath. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing Viserai loses is the ability he had to pivot from being an all-out aggro deck to a completely defensive one-turn kill deck within the same 80-card list. There is no possible way to do that anymore, in my opinion, without Bloodsheath Skeleton. Yeah, and I think they kind of missed the mark on this ban, honestly, or the suspension, I should say. Um, I think, honestly, they should have just banned um, Arcane Sonata. Like in both, and just like just banned Arcane Sonata because Ar Arcane Sonata is the real was the real crutch that Viscerai had, um, and I think that the value of that we're losing with the armor from Skeleton and stuff like that does hurt Viscerai to some degree. 
um, and other rune blades again collateral damage right because that two block maybe three and then the ability to play a non-attack and an attack for free like that's not really that bad but the arcanes it gets bad when you have the sonata right and the sonata is just not a fair card either because like you're getting a ton of value off of the draw off of the free arcane and like all the stuff that comes with it so like i found it interesting that they did a suspension for it in um cc but then down in blitz they decided to go with the um the suspension of the sonata and i think maybe this is them trying to see what happens like i don't know because i think sonata is probably like definitely more dangerous in blitz anyway but like i think that in cc i still think sonata is the, the problem for like the viscerai list like i think that's the thing that really was was dangerous um because like and it took both right like you had to have both sides of the coin like you had to have the blood the blood sheet skeleton and the sonata but the thing is is that uh sonata could still pump out some super value right like even without the skeleta because you there there could be literally a turn where you just dump your hand um for what you could dump it for like up to 12 right like uh, if you have four cards in, in a sonata so you could still do 12 that's still six plus the three that you get that's still a nine point sonata that is going to do arcane damage and then like trigger your viscerai to turn on and then you're going to get you know a bunch of cards in your hand not as effective as it was obviously in the combo but the i i i, I just strongly feel that the sonata is is the card that was the problem and i think bloodsheath kind of is getting a bad rap here and i think bloodsheath is much more fair than the sonata is I'm actually going to have to disagree with you on that. Oh, I know. I think that <laughs> <I, laughs> may not be a surprise, but um, because of the amount of Viscerai that I played, my perspective on it is that um, Sonata Arcanics is only a strong card with Bloodsheath in the deck. If you don't have Bloodsheath, Sonata becomes an extremely swingy, unreliable card that you're probably just playing on the off chance you get one card off of it and maybe do an arcane. If not, oh, well, you played your non-attack, Viscerize turned on, now you get rune chance for whatever else you play on that turn. Um, I think without Skeleta, in CC at least, um, the potential for Sonata to have any significant impact on the outcome of the game is pretty minimal. In Blitz, I think that it's more... Um, you know, Sonata has a bigger impact just because even if you only reveal four cards on a Sonata by pitching a blue, leaving one floating, and you you play that Sonata and you get two cards off of it, with Blitz having a 20 health um, starting total and more consistency in your deck because of the smaller deck size, that does have a much higher potential to swing the the outcome of the game just off of that one card. Whereas, again, in, in CC, I really don't think there's any situation. Because if you're committing more than, than two resources into your Sonata, it almost doesn't matter what you get out of it. You're never going to get the value back. Because you, in order for the cards you get off of Sonata to be good, you need to have more non-attacks that you can play. And since Sonata cannot give you any non-attacks, you have to keep them in or in your hand when you when you play it hoping that you get some attacks to play so that those attacks have maximum effectiveness so i think for for me bloodsheath was the correct thing to remove that was the correct piece of the puzzle to remove from viscerai in cc in order to prevent him from being able to 
you know, do those insane combos. Um, and like I said, have the versatility to be able to be in the same 80 card list, a full on aggro deck and a full on OTK deck, because now without the combo potential from Skeleta, you have to either be, you know, um, you know, an OTK or a mid range deck that flexes into the other, or you have to be an aggro or mid range deck that flexes into the other. You can't swing from one extreme on that spectrum to the other in the same 80 card list anymore. So I think that's the biggest impact that losing Skeleta has. And then in Blitz, because Viscerai is no longer there, I don't think you have the same um, concern about Bloodshade Skeleta in Blitz because neither Chain nor Briar are able to generate rune chants the way that Viscerai could. So you're, you're not going to see those huge combo turns in the same way. So therefore, I think Sonata made more sense because with Chain or Briar, just pitching one card into Sonata could swing an entire game. So I think that those were the correct choices for the formats. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I fully... Like, I think it should have been just Sonata for both, honestly. I still believe that. But sure. my belief, um, because, again, I believe that uh, there's just a bunch of card draw and extra value that comes off of the Sonata that I don't think... I, I think it's still it's still kind of lethal, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, as I don't believe Viscerai is going anywhere. So um, as far as like everybody saying, oh, he's gone now that we lost uh, we lost this this Skeleta. I'm, I don't believe that. Um, yeah, people tried to say that when Seeds of Agony got banned, and we still see Chain performing very high at a very high level at pretty much all of the big events. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which. Um, as we, as you mentioned earlier, Jupiter, um, this new structure is no longer being called, you know, banned and restricted. It, it's banned and suspended, and we're seeing Seeds of Agony move from being a banned card to being a suspended card until Chain becomes Living Legend. My assumption is that they feel that it, whenever Chain becomes Living Legend, they'll either make a new version of Chain that'll be a Shadow Rune Blade. Or we'll get a new Shadow Runeblade card, and it would be designed and balanced so that Seeds of Agony would no longer have the ability to completely swing games the way that it used to. And also, like something that would that would be completely game breaking would be if you had Seeds of Agony and um, Spellbound Creepers in the same deck. I think that would be just so punishing of a combination of cards to have that I understand why they could not allow those two to exist in the same meta. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, like I said, like uh, I think that they're already tipping their hands on some of the new cards that are coming out too. Like they're just kind of jump ahead, but we talked about like the reason why stubby hammers is all of a sudden getting yeah. banned on June 24th. Right. Like they made this announcement and guess what co- coincides with June 24th, the release of uprising. So, there's something in Uprising that's going to happen that's going to be pretty gross, right? And they don't want Stubby Heimers to make it even worse. So I'm excited. Like, I'm not going to speculate what it is, but I'm, I'm guessing that Phi is going to have some kind of weird ability that makes would make Stubby Hammers absolutely busted, right? Like, it's already pretty good. Um, so, yeah. like, well, I, we, know, we know ninjas have that tendency to have relatively small attacks and the ability to gain enough card advantage to string a lot of small attacks together. And that's the type of deck where Stubby Hammerers 
can really shine. So if there's a situation where you could build a blitz deck where stubby hammers, um, you know, even if like some of the, the cards being designed for Phi or the generic cards being designed in Uprising could come into, you know, say a Benji deck, right? Like if you had stubby hammers and any new card with some new mechanic, you could potentially create a Benji deck or a Phi deck in Blitz that could, you know, be one of those turn zero, kill your opponent and they never get to play a turn kind of things. But again, that's speculation and we'll see when the, when this deck comes out. Yeah, I don't know. But anyhow, so um, Band Restricted, like, I mean, we, we mostly on this show talk about CC because that's where we live and that's what we like and stuff. So, like, mm-hmm. there's really nothing else um, that other than the suspension. Like, it's a cool new trick where they said, you know, we want to play the cards we built, right? But some of these characters kind of take them out of, craze, out of reach or you know, there's a value that comes off of these cards, like Autumn's Touch, Bludge the Skeleton, Seeds of Agony, they're all coming back at some point when uh, different people get pushed out the, the meta, so that will be interesting to see how that builds and how that goes. Um, but we just, we still have hard bands, like we said, um, with Awakening added to that list now, it is one of five uh, hard bands. Well, actually, yeah, one of five hard bands, right? Because there's Ball Lightning, Drone, uh, Plunder Run, and Dusk Blade to go with it, so mm. that's... Um, like I said, I don't know. Some of those, it's, it's interesting. I wonder if Plunder Run will ever come off. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that's a pretty powerful card in certain decks, like um, Briar, for example. Plunder Run is an extremely powerful card. So mm-hmm. we'll see if that ever happens. Um, and then, yeah, seeing not only Awakening be banned in Blitz, but also Heart and Cross Strap getting the axe and be completely banned, not just suspended, but completely banned in Blitz mm-hmm. is interesting as well. But, um, but yeah, um, to kind of keep the focus on the um, the classic constructed conversation, um, now that these, you know, ban and suspension announcements have been made, the next big thing that's happening is going to be the Pro Tour. And I think a lot of people, ourselves included, are very interested to see what the meta looks like at the Pro Tour. And I'm just going to jump into my personal speculation of what I think the major decks being represented will be. Um, I think Starbo is still going to be a force to be reckoned with, both as an aggressive, you know, casino deck and also as um, a control deck. I think both of those archetypes are still going to be strong. They're still going to be well represented. And I think that there is a very good chance that we see one or both of those archetypes at the top tables at the Pro Tour. Um, Next, I do also think that there are still very real viscerai decks i think that there's a really good chance that an aggressive viscerai deck that now instead of being able to pivot to a completely otk strategy would just pivot to a more mid-range strategy for the games that it needs to be more defensive hold on to its life total and wait for the big turns i I think that that still is a viable strategy for viscerai i might not be quite as consistent but i still think that that is going to be a deck that will perform well I think Chain has shown, um, you know, there's really no change to Chain here. And Chain has already shown previously before these bans and suspensions that that deck is extremely powerful. So I expect to see some really strong Chain performances. Um, I think that some other aggro decks, namely Katsu, have a really good chance now of coming to the forefront because there's just that little bit less consistency in the Starvo lists. I think that opens a door for Katsu to potentially perform well. Um, depending on the lists that develop, 
I think Prism still does have an opportunity to perform really well. It just depends on how accurately the Prism players predict what the rest of the decks are going to do and find ways to respond to those different things. So I don't know that we're going to see any other big decks. So all of the decks that I've just named are decks that have already, other than Katsu, those are all decks that we've seen already performing very well in the Everfest meta. And I think that those decks are all going to continue to perform well. Um, and then with the addition of Katsu, and then, like I said, there's going to be little adjustments to the Starbo lists. And the biggest adjustment, that, the biggest two adjustments that are going to have to be made are by Prism players and Viscerai players. Viscerai, again, losing the ability to pivot to OTK and Prism having to respond to the slightly different approaches of the Starbo decks, the Viscerai decks, and the introduction of if I'm correct, some of these other aggro decks such as Katsu. So that's my big long-winded um, idea of what we're probably going to see at the top tables at the Pro Tour. Yeah, so um, for me, I guess I'll just echo most of what you said because you said everything pretty much. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's like, we're not going to take turns naming stuff. No, Ogre's just going to rant it all. No, I'm kidding. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just giving my idea. Uh, and I you yours. Nah, yeah, I don't want to waste everybody's time. But I agree that the top three decks in the meta are still going to be Viscerai, Starvo, and Prism. Um, I think Prism probably will have a little bit of an uptick, which makes room for Katsu, Briar, Dash, and, and Chain. Those are my like sleepers that kind of got a boost. Um, I'm really kind of curious to see what Dash does. I'm kind of really curious to see what Takatsu does. Briar and Chain we know are good. Um, I don't know. I think out of all those, I think Briar's probably the one that is missing a card still. Like uh, kind of like close but not quite there. Chain is still super effective. We know that. Um, Katsu and Dash are kind of outside sleeper picks. And then um, for the spicy stuff, like I really think Lexi's in a good spot still. Um, mm. I think she actually has a better opportunity now than she had before and she was kind of making a small dent in the meta so i'm i'm curious to see what she does and then i'm gonna go on a limb and, and give the three og like the three musketeers of my of uh of my brutish nature um some love but um reinar um i think levia and i think bravo og all could see something spicy that kind of now kind of fits the meta now that bravo is not as fast as it was um i was having pretty good success with reinar other than against starvo and now with starvo the hits that it took and the viscerai without being able to go otk like huge big on me i think that reinar could actually be the sneaky surprise of the tournament um and that's totally biased but like um from the little bit of experimentation because you know that with like proquest i was really working hard on him and I, I ultimately went to starvo because i felt he just couldn't beat starvo right like uh but now i feel without awakening and without without you know the uh the autumn's touches and stuff like that the ability to take cards out of hands and to basically stun and hit people with like good amounts of damage and just be consistent with that might be enough to sneak reinar into some some uh some limelight so um, and then OG Bravo, I saw a couple of those at the ProQuest that looked really interesting too. And like all the guardian attacks in the, in the hand denial and stuff, very interesting. And then Oldham, I think as long as there's Prism, Oldham is kind of on the out. Um, Azalea never, like, I know people like her and there's a loyalty to her, but I still don't think she's there. Um, yeah, I, th I think that's where I'm at. If I had to pick, I would say Prism, Starvo, Viscerai. Um, right under that, you got Chain, Dash, Katsu... Reinar, Lexi, 
OG Bravo, like in some in some you know weird sense of somebody that's been playing them for a long time and has some insights to how to play them. I think they could sneak through. I think overall, I think it's a very healthy meta for the Pro Tour. I think it's going to be interesting to see what comes, you know, kind of what kind of floats to the top. So yeah, I, I think the coolest thing would be if um, a new version of one of the heroes that we're already thinking is going to be good, like a new take on Viscerai we've never seen before, a new take on Prism we've never seen before, ends up rising to the top. I think that would be really cool. And then even cooler than that would be if we did see one of those characters that hasn't been so well represented, such as Lexi or Dash or Reinar, because I think Reinar is a great character as well. Mm -hmm. If we saw one of those characters, you know, rise to the top, Mm -hmm. that would be really exciting as well. So I'm definitely going to be paying a lot of attention to the ProQuest. Um, I think you have some good points. You know, I think I took my, all my predictions were pretty safe, right? Like I'm just talking about like, oh, these are all the decks that have already been good and they're going to stay good. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty easy, it's a pretty you know, lukewarm take. And I think that you have, you know, so um, yeah, I think that you, you make some really good points that some of these decks that maybe have been pushed a little bit out of the meta based on the way Starvo and Prism have been working they could come back. And I do think you're, you're a hundred percent correct that Oldham is going to be gatekept by prism. So if we do see a dip in prism's effectiveness um, because people are trying out new lists and things like that, there's a chance that some Oldhams could rise to the top, depending on what their, their matchups look like throughout the tournament. Mm-hmm. And then like you mentioned, Bravo showstopper, that's another deck that tends to be kind of gatekept by prism. And if we see, again, if we see Prism not performing very well because of the other decks that, you know, if, if for example, Briar, Lightning Lexi, and Katsu all end up doing really well, Prism is going to struggle very, very much. And then you could see those, you know, Bravo Showstopper and those Oldham decks start to shine because they're going to be decent responses to those aggro decks and they're not going to be pushed out of the tournament by you know prisms if the prisms are already being pushed out of the tournament by the aggro deck so there's like you said i think it's a really healthy meta that we're coming into with a lot of open possibilities and even though i still think sarvo is going to be a dominant force in the tournament it doesn't feel predetermined right now it doesn't feel like we're guaranteed to see a sarvo win which is pretty much how i felt when i went to indianapolis right like it felt like no matter what happens starvo is going to be at the final table, and it is what happened, and Starvo ended up winning. Um, and I don't think it's so predetermined coming into the Pro Tour that Starvo is going to be at the final table. Yeah, I think the first three or four rounds of the tournament are going to be the tempo setters because this is where there's going to be the most um, variation in like the yeah. meta. So, like, um, like you said, like let's say all the prisms run into like these dash katsu lists. That's that's bad luck for Prism, right? And like, and if then Prism gets weeded out, like now Reinar has a chance, right? Like he could kind of step up and, and step into that slot if he can get through, you know, some Starvos and a couple of Viscerai and stuff. I I don't know, like I feel it's wide open. I feel it could be very interesting. But in the end, who do you think is going to win the Pro Tour? So, if I had to pick right now, what's actually going to end up being the overall victor? Give me your serious one, and then give me your dream. Like, give me your uh, spicy one. How's that? Okay. <laughs> so, I have this idea in my head that, as much as I don't like the the 
character and I would personally probably never play the deck, I think um, the most versatile deck in the game in terms of deck building options is Prism. And I think that if even one Prism player comes in with the right list and predicts the meta and what they're going to see correctly, mm-hmm. I think there's a very real chance that we see a Prism take down the whole thing. That is honestly, like, it's really hard for me to pick another character and say, I think this deck is versatile enough to take down the whole thing. I mean, yes, there's a chance that we see Starbo do it. There's a real good chance that Viserai or Chain could do it. And there's, like you mentioned, there's a bunch of other decks that could take the tournament by storm and win. But I think if I'm playing the numbers, I, I would say Prism is probably the, the the most likely one of any, in my personal opinion. Now, what would I would love to see happen, um, my favorite character to play in the game is Briar, and I would absolutely love to see someone crack the code with Briar um, and do, you know, like Sam Dando did in Indianapolis. He went really far into the top eight, uh, into the tournament, even getting into the top eight, doing very well, beating a lot of really difficult opponents. And if we could see the same thing at the Pro Tour, see a Briar come through and come to the top, especially if it was a Cheerios Briar, which I know is not popular right now, but somebody figured out Cheerios Briar and brought that to the top, uh, I, I, that nothing could make me happier. All right. How so... about you? What do you think? What's your serious right. odds-on favorite, and what is your dream of, of what you would love to see happen? All right, so odds on, I agree with you. I think Prism is the one that's in the best position to win because there's plenty of like dedicated Prism players that I think Prism still can edge out the chains. I think they both like Prism and Chain both are kind of kind of be very in the forefront of this uh, go. I I still think Starvo is lurking, but like I I just think Prism is just in a better spot now to to deal with that. So um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna go on a limb and say I think. Prism is still like I agree the 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 top to win, um. But my hot take on this and my dream on this is that there's three characters in my research that I've been working on that all have variant builds that any of the three could be interesting if uh and if one of them were to win I would be stoked, um. And that would be Katsu Dash and Oldham. Um, old him has a like an aggro kind of version of him um, where he plays like a ton of ice reminds me a lot of stasis kismet when i used to play magic and um, basically that's just it's like the idea is like you just keep swinging damage and then all the damage has like on hit effects that are going to trigger card loss or ice or frostbite or something that just annoys the crap out of your opponent um, and basically it will you know push you to an advantage there um if you did that list, obviously you have to play like lead the charges and stuff because you have to be ready for Prism. But I think it could get there. Dash and Katsu both have built in like going to beat Prism kind of mechanics. And I think that the Teclo Pounder version of Dash right now is actually just smashing like like it's doing good damage um, at a very high rate. And again, the Katsu has tricks that... Um, I won't mention at this point because it might be the deck that I'm playing. Um, so like there's uh, there's tricks in the Katsu list that kind of have upped his potential for like uh, damage and, you know, kind of sneaking into the meta. So it really just depends on the gatekeepers. But I do believe that P- Prism is going to be 
the the person to beat and i think these three people these three like especially dash and katsu more than old him old him is super spicy right like he's like the 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 smashy old him is the dream um if you play control oldham i'm not cheering for you but if you play smashy oldham i'm super excited with cards like endless winter oak and old and the um, like playing mangles and all these like four for eight you know kind of swings with the rouses and the zealous like those things are cool like i would love to see something like that but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i would i would love to see any of those things and um it's that's the i think the nice thing right now even though i was hoping they would do more to nerf bravo nerf starvo um the work that the amount of nerfing that they did do i think is enough to really open up the meta and put us in a position where really anything could happen at the pro tour which is going to make it that much more exciting to watch the coverage, uh, since I'm personally not going to be there, um, I'll be really excited to watch the coverage, pay attention to what's doing well. And then also it's going to be, the other thing that I want to see is not only what, you know, heroes are doing well, but see some of the players. You know, we have, for example, from the Tavern Brawlers, Joe Bay is going to be going. I'm really excited to see how he performs. I know that um, he definitely, as a player, has a lot of skill and experience that's going to be really exciting to see how he can perform um and then also there are some players that i'm really excited to see as well i think um people like tark patel and michael fang are two of the guys on the top of my list that i'm really really excited to see how they perform in this kind of best of the best kind of format at the pro tour so i'm, I'm really excited to see how all that plays out mm-hmm yeah, those are... And then you got, oh, sorry, I was just one other thing. And then you've also got players who, um, while they don't play my style of flesh and blood, there are some other players that I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they can perform well. And those would be guys like Nam Vo, who we've seen win a calling before, um, Michael Hamilton, who's won multiple callings now, um, and you know some of those other control players or guys like Tyler Horsepool that will just pick up any archetype on any deck that that he thinks is well positioned so any of those players performing well is going to be really exciting to see anyway and then of course the international players but yeah i was anyway. gonna say as a, are you a homer man like you're all usa yeah what about... dude it's all about usa usa <laughs> usa <laughs> matt rogers and hayden dale might have something to say about that um... <laughs> you are 100 percent correct there my friend <laughs> but uh we'll see what happens i'm i'm excited too there's a lot of international players that we've never that we haven't seen um so I think this is going to be the truest test of something like pre-Worlds. Like, this is the first real, I think, super world collection of people that are coming in, right, to play. I know we had the Vegas calling that probably had a pretty good diversity to it, too. But, like, this is the one I feel like, like, we're getting ready to see world championships, right? Like, USC, you know, the actual country teams and, you know, region teams and stuff like that. And, like, I'm really excited to see that because I, I think that's going to just make the game better like in the long run because they're going to have these people pulling things and um i just recently started playing online with people from poland italy um you know we, we have nick from australia and stuff like but it's always interesting i find in games when you go to different regions how different people like believe in things right like and how they they play and the way they play kind of sets them into a certain pattern that 
like if you go to the a different region and play the way you play maybe it's not as effective um because you're not used to playing the way like the mindsets and stuff are just different like um yeah. i think that's been true of everywhere it's like when you go to like asian pacific like you're looking at like a lot of really mathematically ca calculated like super stats right you go up to like poland you're just getting high quality like strategic like you know poland germany like they just play like a very strategic and very like try to trap you kind of game um similar to italy's and greece like they both they all have great players there in, in that region and then you go to like your like the, like the the western block of europe over there like with england and in spain and france and stuff like that and they have their own way of playing then you have canada they, and the u.s like they have their own way of playing and like when you put all these styles and you just mash them together it's like who's gonna win like that's exciting to me like i don't know like like I mean, it's crazy <laughs> i think you bring up a really good point and i'll be 100 percent honest and this is really clear from what you just called out and what I was saying, all the players I was mentioning are all these guys from North America. Um, and like, that has really been my mindset thinking about the pro tour, but I mean, you're totally correct. Not only is, you know, a guy like Matt Rogers, who's been competing in a fair number of events here in America recently, but getting guys like Hayden Dale and, you know, some of the other people who have, you know, won national tournaments in Europe and other parts of the world, getting those players to come in and bring their perspective on the game. I mean, all of my ideas and all of my, like the vast majority of my understanding of, the, of this game is based on what I see other American players doing. And whether that's, you know, other players who are decent but not great at the game like myself or watching people who are, you know, at the highest level in America, like Michael Fang or Namvo or Tark Patel, um, you know, that's like the core of my understanding of the game, but you're a hundred percent right. I think one of the biggest things that comes to my mind is I remember in the Monarch meta when everybody in America was playing chain and you watched all the events that were happening, chain won this road to nationals, chain won this road to nationals. And there's so much of it. And then the only times chain wasn't winning, it was other decks, you know, that you expect from here in America, like Prism at the time and, you know, some of the other decks that were really popular. And then when you looked at, like, who was winning the, the tournaments at the time in Malaysia, everybody was playing Dorinthia. Like, Dorinthia wasn't winning anything in America, but she was winning everything there in, you know, Malaysia and in Indonesia and, and the, you know, that part of the world because that's what those players were playing, putting their time and energy into, those were the lists that were getting the most attention and that people had the most reps on because that's the way they played the game. And those are the decks that won. So you're hundred percent right. You know, I've got all these ideas based on my understanding of the game from this American perspective. But when you start throwing in those international players, people who are building decks with a different mindset, people who have been playing the game in a different meta, you're going to see play patterns you've never seen before. You're going to see deck building techniques that you've never seen before and that could completely flip the whole thing on its head from all of the expectations that I might have going in. So I think that's a really good point that you made. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, for, I mean, good for something some, I didn't think of, so. Good for something once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> You're a smart guy, man. But yeah, talking about the future of the game, where the meta's going, all that, I think the, the one thing that you know we do have to also discuss as part of that conversation is, what does the future of the game potentially look like? And again, this is going to be even more speculation. What does the future of the game potentially look like as we come into this new set uprising? 
angels and dragons and fire. Oh my! I'm stoked, man. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm gonna actually have to become an illusionist now because I love angels, like as a a, a a a thing, right? Like it's like I have angels tattooed on my arm and sure, you know, in demons and things like that. Like it's cool. Like uh, I like that mythos, but I love dragons. Totally love dragons. And now that we yeah, have it, and, and now we have an illusionist that is like riding a dragon. Like why can't oh, I, I? I don't want to play an illusionist, but I mean, it's it's calling me at this point. Like the dragons are there. Like I can't say no to that. <laughs> but yeah, there, I'll be. There's also a phoenix ninja, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be totally honest, man. Um, this new illusionist Romai is far more tempting to me to play than I ever expected an illusionist to be. Obviously, previous to the reveal of Dramai, all we knew of illusionist was prism and all, you know angels and, and light and all that kind of stuff doesn't appeal to me. So prism is very, very antithetical to my personal aesthetic. And that's why the, she doesn't appeal to me at all as a hero. But Dramai, on the other hand, does with the fire, the dragons all that stuff, but even more so, I'll say, this Draconic Ninja, Phi, he absolutely speaks to me. Um, I have no interest whatsoever in playing Icelander. I just don't like ice mechanics. I just don't like wizards. And you put the two together, and that's a recipe to keep me away from the character. Um, but I love the idea of you know, I think ninjas are cool as hell. I think the aesthetic of the dark colors, the black and red with all the fire and um, also combine that with, um, I think ninja is an amazingly awesome class in this game. I really like, you know, having played quite a bit of Katsu in the last several months, I've really grown to enjoy a lot of the play patterns that come along with playing ninja. So I'm extremely excited to see what kind of a character Fi is, what his mechanics are all about. And having seen even just that one Draconic card that has an ability from the graveyard to turn off some ice effects, I'm extremely excited to see what other tricks the Draconic talent has in store for us and, you know, what, what a Draconic ninja ends up being, what new cards come. Um, that's really exciting to me. But, yeah, I so that, I think, is the character of the set that I'm most likely to pick up when, when the set drops. Dragon Illusionist, Dragon Ally, Attack for Six, Reveal Three Cards, Do Arcane Damage. Ah! <laughs> that could be pretty powerful, man. It could be pretty powerful. Fire breathing, what? Like, this, yeah, is, dude. This, is, this is a different kind of illusionist, I'm telling you that. Like, 100%. Uh, One right. of my biggest questions is, because we're getting three heroes... And we're getting three dragons. Mm -hmm. My initial assumption was that maybe we would get a dragon uh, an ally associated with each of the three heroes. The problem with that is if you read through all of the um, articles and, and any text that has been released regarding this upcoming set, the only hero in the set that is anything mentioned regarding the dragons is Dromai. So it's entirely possible that all three of those dragons are only available to her. Game of Thrones on. <laughs> yeah, right? She's just Khaleesi. Um, but uh, the other thing, okay, so I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the Pro Tour, I mentioned earlier how much I love Briar. So I will say the other thing that I'm, the other potential 
thing that I'm very excited for that could possibly come from this set. And again, this is all 100% speculation with no factual basis. But what I'm hoping for is that um, in the generic card pool that could potentially come from this set, and we've seen recently that, um, you know, like Tales of Aria, they released with extremely limited generic support with where it was only equipment. So we may not see a lot of generic support, but if we do see generic cards, there's a possibility that there are some generic attacks or potentially even non-attacks that lend themselves toward a ninja-like approach to, to aggressive gameplay. And those could possibly slot into a Briar deck. So that's something that I'm really excited for. I'm going to play five for sure, give him a go and see if he, if he feels right for me. But if there is an option uh, for one or potentially two cards that could slot into a Cheerios Briar deck and potentially bring some consistency back to that strategy, I'll be all over that. I mean, five looks like basically his picture. He reminds me of the avatar, the, uh, the fire Lord Prince, whatever his name is, Prince Zuko or whatever. Yeah. A lot of people have been making that comparison for sure. Yeah. But I hope he's a lot meaner. (laughs) I mean, he seems like uh, a man with vengeance on the mind, you know, the whole uprising thing, the, the name of the set seems to be based around his goal of leading an uprising against the ruling class in Volcor. Um, and, you know, we see some of this art um, that they, you know, put in this article about uprising, uh, where it's, you know, all these people in masks and, and hats and stuff storming what looks to be some kind of, you know, uh, high class building or whatever. They're all charging up the steps with their weapons toward this building that's um looks like it's on fire with a volcano in the background like it looks super cool it looks like the aesthetic of this set uh, at least for the cards dealing with um the draconic talent all the you know the draconic ninja and draconic illusionist cards look like the aesthetic is going to be right up my alley obviously we know ice is you know very light colors um and that's what we'll get from the icelander cards but it looks like all of the draconic cards are going to look Super, super badass. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but so. think that Phi is going to have something to do with like a phoenix because of the way that the art is positioned around him in a way. Yeah, like, I think they use the word phoenix somewhere. So there's possible like something like uh, like maybe like one of his cards will be phoenix something or like, you know, we see, we've seen ninjas with combos in the past. Maybe there'll be some kind of phoenix themed combo ability or something like that or his sword could be, you know, a phoenix katana or something. Well, I mean, there on the pack, there's a dragon head facing a phoenix, and they're fighting, and that's like the whole five versus, uh, you know, uh, Dromia thing. But like, um, also, like, I don't think there's another character. Some people were speculating, but somebody brought up a good point in one of the chats the other day, and they said if you look at the distribution for the, um, like, the products that are coming out for this set already, like they have ones that are on hold for pre-order, and for the dragon uh, shield sleeves they only have three so that would be icelander dromai and Phi, right like yeah. putting, putting them all on sleeves so for you people who are looking for a fourth person i don't think it's we're getting that in this set. <laughs> yeah i think it's extremely unlikely that there'll be any other heroes revealed um we've already seen you know what there's going to be oh the one the other thing that we haven't discussed yet that's coming in this set is the marvel cards so as the example that they showed is the dracona optimi 
uh, the regular version of the card just looks like a regular version of a card that's an ally. And then they have the Marvel card face, which is this beautiful full art with um, a different text border and all this. Like, I mean, it just looks amazing. And they aren't revealing how many different cards will get that Marvel treatment. So I'm really, really curious to see what all gets that, what kinds of cards we end up getting that have that. And I'm really hoping that I can pull some Marvels when I open my my packs of Uprising. Yeah, I think Marvels are going to be the, the chase, right? Like they're gonna yes. Be, they're going to be the uh, the thing to get if you want to be cool. Um, I don't care. Yeah, about it's going to be those in the cold foils, <laughs> right? Like the cold foil legendaries, uh-huh. the cold foil fable, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the Marvels are definitely going to be the chase cards. Yeah. But really exciting. Yeah. And the, and the, like you said, the artwork is great. Like I can't wait. Yeah. To that. yeah if that's foiled too. Oh my God. <laughs> oh yeah. That's the other thing too. Yeah. I mean, those marbles could potentially be rainbow or even cold foil, which would be, I mean, just that much cooler. Like the art already looks awesome. And the way that foiling is handled so delicately in this game, mm-hmm. I mean, the foiling could be just unbelievably awesome. I mean, Lots that... to look forward to. I'm I'm probably more excited for this set than I have been for um, any of the sets that have come out since I started playing the game. Yeah, I agree. I uh, this is the set for me. Like uh, this is a make or break set because. Oh yeah, that's true. Because this is a um, this is the first set after the um the change right like this is the fab 2.0 so it'll be very interesting to see what happens with how everything works out with this like um i've already heard some rumors about like um distribution on a couple of the new um products that came out um and i'm already concerned a little bit because like our store i just came back from my lgs and they said we got our kit for this week, but somebody had sliced it open and all the promo cards like fell out somewhere. We called our distributor and our distributor said, oh, he found them in the, in the distribution room um, in that they would send us, they would, they're going to send us the, you know, the foil, the cold foil cards that are supposed that are supposed to be with it or whatever. And I'm like, well, that's convenient that like, you know, th- it got ripped open and all the cards fell out. So now you can find the ones that are worth more. And like send the ones that are worth less. Like, I don't know. Like, it seems kind of fishy. And I told, yeah. I, I told my, I told my, uh, you know, my store. I was like, you should definitely write to LSSOP about that because that seems a little bit odd, right? But yeah, yeah, that that, that does seem pretty weird. Um, and the other thing I think that's going to be really big for this set, um, you know, ever since Monarch came out, every time a new set has come out we've gotten a dominant hero and it seems like each one has been more dominant than the last chain was frustratingly dominant in the uh, monarch meta briar was even more frustratingly dominant for a lot of players in the tails meta and then you know in my opinion um sarvo has been more dominant than either of those in the everfest meta so far so I think for a lot of players who feel who have noticed that and been frustrated with that trend, if this set comes out and we immediately have a character, whether it's one of the characters from the set or an older character that gets support that makes it better, if we come into the new meta after the set releases 
and there's one hero that is just completely dominant and warps the entire meta, I think a lot of players are going to be really frustrated because that'll be the fourth set in a row that that's happened. So I think for the health of the game and the sanity of the player base, I really hope that this is a well-balanced set that brings, you know, a, a balanced and diverse meta after its release. Hmm. It's interesting that you say that because I honestly, like, yes, there are definitely been strong deck choices and stuff, but like Tyler Horsepool uh, did with the chain meta, like he broke it because he took the time to learn how to beat it. And like, yeah. uh, and like, and I think a lot of the people in this game that get frustrated, um, probably not a popular opinion to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, is because they jump on the thing that's hot, right? Like, and they go for it. Like they're all in with it and they think that that's the only way to play. And like, um, I think that's mostly a North American mindset. Um, when I look overseas at some of the overseas tournaments and I, and I basically talk to people and stuff like that, I find that like the Asian Pacific and the German Polish areas, they are very much into finding like builds, right? Like they find things that work for each of the heroes and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that you can build a, a better hero and stuff like that, but they like to problem solve more than we do. Like here in North America, we jump on the meta. Like the meta is a hardcore thing. Um, we like to have solved things. We don't like to look deep into anything, I think. And that's not everybody. I'm being general. But um, I, I think we tend to follow the, the coattails more than, like, anywhere else in the world. So, hot take. Yeah, no, I, I would honestly agree with you. I think that the two things that tend to happen here in America when a new set comes out is, um, one, somebody finds a deck that is extremely powerful and then a lot of people jump on it and they start winning a lot with it and people get frustrated and then, and they either jump on the bandwagon or they get upset about the bandwagon. And then the other thing that happens is another set of players will almost refuse to adapt and get mad that their favorite hero that they were playing previously or their favorite, you know, archetype or whatever doesn't, automatically have an answer to the new hero and then they get frustrated about that so i think that there is from my perspective and my experience playing against other american players in these last few metas there does seem to be this tendency to either hop on the new hot deck or refuse to adapt to it and complain that your non-adapted deck isn't winning yeah. so Shots fired. Bang. Yeah, that's that's our hot takes. But either way, so either way, I think this has been a great conversation. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's really interesting what LSS has done by introducing the suspensions instead of just straight bans or restrictions. And then, you know, seeing what cards did get, you know, added to the ban and, and suspended lists. And then, you know, I'm really excited to see what comes out of the Pro Tour. And even more so than that. I'm really excited to see what comes with this new set of Uprising, and um, I can't wait to figure out what deck I'm going to be playing in the Uprising meta. Well, that about does our time. Like uh, it, we had a pretty good conversation, like you said. My cup is empty. I just drank. I just ate like a whole half like gallon worth of sherbet while we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
<laughs> oh my god as ogre dies um yep <laughs> but uh either with you know with all that said um i hope that you guys are looking forward to this i hope that i see you in new jersey um this is the last recording we're going to do before new jersey i'm taking the week off to just get ready um i'm still haven't decided on my cc deck i am good for blitz like if i play in any blitz events i will be ready my blitz deck is blistering it's so good right now um I have, I have two that are really good i have one that is an old homeless one and it's a katsu list and they're both been banging off like pretty good um kasai has kind of fallen off not a big fan of her anymore sure. <laughs> um but um but my katsu list and my old homeless i'm very very happy with them um i think those are my two characters right now um that i have the most joy playing at least until I see drama, because I really think that she's going to do it for me. Because dragons, like dragons, I have like dragons all over my house. You wouldn't believe how many like random dragon things I have. Um, mostly because I was born in 76, which is the year of the dragon, and uh, that helps. But uh, yeah, I could go into a whole thousand reasons why I have like Khaleesi things are everywhere. I have like Khaleesi and Drago and all the Game of Thrones dragons because I just have always been a dragon guy. <laughs> I love dragons. Well, I'm, I'm excited to see how many dragon themed cards we get and whether uh, Fi can use them or if he's got Phoenix cards or whatever it ends up being. I'm pretty stoked to see how it all pans out. But yeah, my uh, cup runneth empty, and uh, I believe that we are reaching closing time, so very happy to have had this conversation. I'm really excited to see how you and our other Tavern Brawlers team members perform uh, in New Jersey, okay. and what the how the Pro Tour shakes out. So, And then, of course, like I said, excited to see what comes of Uprising. So lots of, lots of awesome stuff to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to miss you, man. I wish you would be there, but uh, kick everybody out. Oh, wait, it's just me. Don't kick me. <laughs> just kidding um but with that said like yeah like um everybody have a good time see you in jersey don't be afraid to walk up and say hi to me if you see me i'll be wearing a, a, te a ta team tavern brawler jersey it'll say jupiter or fifth planet games on it that's me come say hi um i have a, a play mat come ask to sign it um i, I got a special play mat a pub brews play mat so that we could get autographs on all the mat and uh, basically have a gift uh, for, for myself that I can put on my wall. I do this with every major event I go to. I absolutely love it. So please, please, please stop by. Talk to me. Sign my mat. Make me happy. Um, and cheerios. Cheerios. <laughs>